All right, fellow fact checkers, we've got a brand new sponsor, and I am excited to promote this product. It's Fox and Sons Coffee. Now, Fox and Sons Coffee is a family-owned and operated small business selling whole bean, organically roasted, amazingly good coffee. On their website, Steve, the company's founder, describes how his love of coffee started with special Saturdays with his dad when he was growing up. Steve wants to share his love of coffee with you and the entrepreneurial spirit with his sons. Check out the website, foxnsons.com. And take a look at their best offer. A monthly subscription for three bags of coffee with free shipping for $38.89. Also, Steve's been on the show. He's a friend of the show. He follows us on the morning after as well as here on Fact Check This Podcast. Steve is a great dude. Great company to support. So go check out Fox and Sons Coffee. And get your morning started off right with a bag of delicious Fox and Sons Coffee. Let's start the show. So it's like, uh, get dressed before you play basketball. Like People take like 10 minutes to put their socks and shoes on. See, this is what happens when I do the morning show from the road, and then I sit down at my desk and think I'm ready to go. But I'm actually not ready to go because I haven't been here all morning. So. You feel a little, little flustered, do you? Yes. <laughs> yes, I'm a, it's I'm, just I'm, me. A, I'm a bit OCD. I'm a creature of habit. And uh, when my. When my routines are disrupted, I uh, I don't handle that sort of stuff real well. But so it's just me. It's not like you have some important guest on. You have the guy on. You have on every other month. Well, maybe more frequently than that. Yeah, I can't lose track. You're you're becoming a regular. Uh, your hair is not done though, which kind of offends me. I mean, I brushed my beard. Is that? I guess that's good enough. But I mean, Pete had the whole like get up and everything yesterday. Well, ter- I'm terribly sorry. You were probably wearing mascara too. No, I don't. I don't do that. Um, we'll get into that because that does <laughs> gonna, that does tie into I was gonna say, uh, that does tie into the topics we're going to be talking about. Your autobiography today. might have been burned. <laughs> Maybe. Speaking of, uh, so yesterday, Pete and I talked about the Nazi book burnings and what they were burning, why they were burning it, and some of the significance of that, both looking at what was going on at the time with the burning of those books and also some similarities to modern culture and society and what's going on in our, our current day and age. So you and I are going to look a little more at just the 
historical, how did they get to that point stuff from moving from uh, end of World War One up through Mussolini and Italy, especially since that's been a kind of a popular topic with the election of Maloney in, in Italy uh, last week. And, and then Weimar, Germany, and what all was going on that kind of led to the rise of the National Socialists and, uh, and why that was an accepted thing. I, I had talked about uh, Hillary Clinton was interviewed on something. I can't remember what it was, uh, but she was, she was talking about remembering being younger and watching videos of like Hitler giving speeches and, and all of these people were really excited. And she was like, what could have, like what could have brainwashed them into thinking that this was a good idea? And then, and then she's watching this Trump rally in Ohio and it just feels like the same thing, given the same vibes. It's like, well, bitch, you obviously don't know much about history uh, because if you did, you would understand why all of that happened back then. And you would also understand why it looks sort of similar to things that are happening today, because there are a lot of stark similarities. So let's start with the uh, kind of end of World War One, moving into uh, moving into the 20s and 30s and just what was happening in specifically in Europe. And the U.S. was kind of. To a small extent, removed from some of that stuff. But the U.S. was also driving a lot of it in Europe as well. Like we were playing a part. It wasn't so much affecting the U.S. at that time, but it was the the role that the U.S. was playing in Europe was really changing things uh, in that part of the world. Speaking to Hillary Clinton's speech, and obviously she's not shocked about why things are happening the way they are, but she wants her her audience or her supporters to be just absolutely appalled. Um, there's this uh, there's this account on Twitter, an anonymous account called Kofefe Anon. I don't know if you follow him. So he has a saying where he's like, he talks about how the woke are a lot more like honest or right than the mainstream. <laughs> and one of the things that applies here is when you hear it is more wokey people who say stuff like oh they're trump supporters are nazis or they're fascists or whatever like trump himself obviously is not a nazi or a fascist but the sort of grassroots ground level like people who support him were the ones who were actually like more <laughs> more intrigued by things that were being said in 1920s leading into 30s germany by the national socialist so this is where they're actually more correct than than like what uh, people want to like give in. We make fun of people being called Nazis all the time. They're not Nazis, but there's a sort of kinship there for what they're like kind of long for with their nation, if that makes sense. Well, and the interesting thing about that is like when they say Nazi, what they mean is like 1940s. Yes, 1940s <laughs> gassing Jews Nazi. Whereas when we think of Nazi, we're thinking of like 1930s response to rampant degeneracy and just total degradation of society. So like there, there are some very uh, major distinctions that have to be made when 
when throwing around terms like that. Yeah. And you can see I have uh, the book that P referenced last night. This is a uh, Joseph Goebbels journal. <laughs> it's funny. I actually have the, I highlighted and the dog ear the portion that he read from last night or yesterday afternoon, the nice. one about abortion. I may have sent it to him. So maybe that's where I'm sure he has his own copy. <laughs> he, he, when I told him that we were doing this conversation, he said, Oh, he's, he's good. So <laughs> I, uh, you brought up Italy though. Yes. I, I don't know a whole lot about pre Mussolini Italy. So I don't like, I, I like to talk about Mussolini as my, my hero, some of its tongue in cheek and stuff, but I'm actually not like super well-versed in what Italy looks like, but it's interesting that you brought up like all of Europe and you and Pete talked about this last night. Uh, France was actually veering towards fascism itself, like in the 1930s as well. And there's actually even more, there's this like a normie historian uh, called Paul Johnson. He has a book that's called Modern Times and it's basically world history mostly like political history from 1920 to 1990. And it talks about how France was perhaps even more like anti, I don't want to say just anti-Semitic, like anti-bankers <laughs> in the 1920s and 30s than even Germany was at that time. But the issue with France was they were already like a crumbling republic, like by the time World War I came around in Germany, like there's this book called uh, Storm of Steel by Ernst Jünger. He was a soldier during for Germany during World War One, And he talks about how when he was fighting in France, like these little French boys would be like, yeah, we want you guys to win. <laughs> so, so France was like pretty much done for by that time. And then uh, obviously when World War Two rolled around, like France gave up easily. Like this is a pretty mainstream thing. So they weren't, I think it, they were kind of veering towards fascism, but they also had the allyship with the U.S. and with Britain at the time, which kind of prevented them from completely falling into, I don't want to say falling into, going into fascism, uh, unlike what happened with Germany. So what you're saying is France didn't give up because they were a bunch of pussies. France gave up because they were like, yep, we like this. Come on. like yeah. we're, we're not going <laughs> to fight it. Yeah, and I think uh, was it World War Two when the like the first people firing? Pete said this last or yesterday, where it was like the French soldiers firing on the U.S. soldiers at first. Yeah, or a certain like sect of the French soldiers. Well, and also, so <clears throat> talking about that, like something else that we had talked about was how Spain and Portugal were largely left alone, and that's because when you're looking at the so the, the the rise of communism uh, in the West and and what that kind of meant, especially across Europe and the the globalist in, uh, mindset of of communism and and communism is very uh, destructive towards the family, very destructive towards religion, uh, like all of the really core tenets of really national socialism. Um, and or today's what would be today's uh, national populism type stuff or populist nationalism, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. uh, white, white power, white supremacy. Um, 
when you look at all of that stuff, like what Spain and Portugal had in spades uh, was they were very, very traditional, strong Catholic nations. So the the family unit and the morals and values and and all of that were incredibly important to those people. So the communists, like the communistic creep really wasn't affecting those countries because because they were so rooted in in those things. So they would be natural allies or at the very least not enemies of the of national socialism at that time because they're not they're not part of the the communist regime. Like they're not they're not falling like the rest of of Europe uh kind of was at the time. I think a mistake that we make or just like most like mainstream people make um when it with regard to communism and like national socialism is they like immediately go to the economics where both of these ideologies are like more culture first than their sort of economic principles or whatever. And not national socialism is obviously uh it's it's blood and soil, right? Like it talks about your your nation's I don't know, history, it respects your nation's history and the people that who have lived there for a long time, what they built, whereas communism's like all about degenerating the culture, which is what you guys talked about. And there is no like homogenous culture in in communism. Like it's less obviously it is like the whole like distribution of everything goes into that, but it's more about just like creating this global homo <laughs> situation as a, and not like necessarily about like all about the economics of it. But we always like, we've been kind of taught after the 20th century to only look at, or to specifically look at like, what were the economic principles of all of these, all of these different ideologies. Okay. So <clears throat> I guess on that, point i kind of think of the national socialist uh ideology and framework as which we've talked about this several times maybe not on this show but definitely on the morning show like think of the like the covenant community type things or the like the amish the way that like you could argue that the way they structure their communities it's very socialistic but it's also very rooted in community it's very rooted in faith and and morals and virtues and things that are good so like yeah there's a socialistic type of an aspect to it but it's it's uh it's that covenant community type of a socialism you know it's not the like it's not bernie sanders style socialism where everybody has to be forced to to do it it's a everybody's doing it because that's what works for everybody and actually benefits the greater good of your, your community and your society. Uh, And and that's like, there's a huge distinction between the two that uh, the democratic socialists here in the U S just don't seem to understand. Like they think socialism is a great thing. So you should force it on everybody. It's like, it doesn't work if you force it on everybody. That's kind of the point. I feel like whenever we get together, borders usually comes up. And I think even like with Bernie, Back in the day, he used to say he was closed borders and he would have to be if he wanted his 
the things that he espouses to actually work. Like you can't have, you can't be like open borders and also a democratic socialist, whatever that means. Like this is why obviously Germany wanted to expel certain folks and they were like super about strong borders as well because their form of national socialism wouldn't have worked if they just kind of let people in and out willy nilly. Well, that's something that we have talked about with like Germany and, or not Germany with uh, Sweden and and the different Nordic countries and the, uh, the countries that are the Americans democratic socialists uh, example of like socialism working. It's like, yeah, but those countries are super, super, super closed borders. Like they're incredibly restrictive. Like, have you ever checked out a, a uh, application to to immigrate to Sweden. Like, there's a good chance, even if you check all of the boxes, they're still not going to let your ass in. Like, it, these things don't work with open borders. It's it's not uh, it's not feasible. It's it is yeah. a very it's a very you know community driven type of thing. Like, it's everybody's got to be on the same page, or it doesn't it doesn't work. And there's really not a distinction between or not that. It doesn't seem like a big distinction between a sort of global homo socialist worldview and a free market one. Like we see what happens when we want to extend like the free market to the world. It doesn't seem to work as well either. The whole thing about the U.S. being the world's policeman is they're basically sort of the arbiters for global free trade. And that results in proxy wars throughout so anyways, borders are good, no matter what, <laughs> no, matter, no matter what economic system you have. I mean, it's, it makes sense if you look at, um, you know, the, the issues that we have in the, in the U.S. with corporations kind of running everything and like what we have isn't, isn't actually capitalism. It's this uh, horrible form of corporatism where the corporations and government have gone hand in hand. Like, and that's, that is uh, the worst form of fascism, honestly. Like that's the the purest definition of fascism is the corporations and and the government are intertwined to the extent that they're indistinguishable from each other. Um, that's what we have, and and that's like clearly you can see where borders would be a good thing. Like there have to be lines drawn between. Uh, you know, like not everything can be commingled. Uh, which is what you know the global homo thing kind of is is it's everything should just kind of merge into this one thing it's uh it's communism taken to its to its full fruition like all the way to completion which is interesting that um you know communism is is the thing and russia seems to not be <laughs> not be so much the bastion of communism anymore when you look at Putin and, and the way things are going now. Uh, history does have a, a weird way of playing itself out. Um, so let's, all right, so let's get back to late 20s, early 30s, Germany and and Europe and, and what's going on over there that kind of leads us to the rise of the National Socialists. I have a <clears throat> book. I'm kind of surprised that they were selling it on Amazon. And it's basically, I can't remember the name of the newspaper. It's a German newspaper. 
that ran from, I believe, 1925 to basically through the war years. Um, and it has uh, like all of the cartoons that were depicted in this newspaper. This was a national socialist newspaper. <laughs> and it, one thing about like cartoons and today it's more like memes is they present like they kind of like are, are, are outlandish um, forms of reality until they actually aren't outlandish anymore. <laughs> they kind of predict like what's coming in a very like funny and sometimes a, a sad, a sad, humorous way. These cartoons did this for Germany back then. And like there's one about like how uh, there's like these bank, there's a depiction of like bankers. And you can imagine like how the, the banker looks in this cartoon and how he's like promoting porn and debt and just basically capital. And like beneath this banker, he's like squashing like, I don't know what she's considered, like the queen of Germany, like this old queen, beautiful woman of Germany, like basically crushing the culture of, of Germany. So this is, it kind of shows what you and Pete were talking about last night about how the culture had just completely degenerated into focus on porn and these weird scientific distortions that they were doing. And one way to be able to like see that in not real time, but see what, like what the German, like everyday Germans were seeing is to look at like the cartoons of the day, less about the cartoons and more or more about cartoons and even like the speeches of Goebbels or, or Hitler, because that kind of like hit the, the nitty gritty. So it was definitely a degenerative uh, culture. And, like it's true that a lot of it did stem from Treaty of Versailles. Inflation was wild, but you can't like focus on just the horrible economy of Germany and just completely neglect like what was going on in the streets as far as like prostitution, porn, all this stuff. Like both of those, you have to talk about both of those things when you talk about the rise of the Nazis and. I'd like what we were taught we were only taught about devastation of war and they neglected culture isn't that kind of the story of the history books as as it's presented to us though it always it always yeah. neglects culture like as I've gotten older and understand the importance and the value of culture and realizing how frequently that's left out like like they don't talk about <clears throat> they don't talk about the culture of Spain and Portugal and the strong family ties, the strong ca- Catholic ties that, that those countries had, you know, and with that being why they were largely left alone by the the Nazis in their, you know, march through Europe. Like they don't talk about the the cultures of these communistic countries and, and how they largely eschewed uh, family and faith and all of those sorts of things and and the and the rampant degeneracy that was running through all of Europe at the time and, and culture is one of those things that if you discount its value and its importance to what's going on in the world at any given point in history like you're you are missing a a large piece of the puzzle it's interesting I brought this up on our morning show a little bit ago. Like I, <laughs> I read a, a Hitler biography at 11 years old, but I remember like even before like reading that biography, like when I was first learning about the Holocaust and the Nazis and world war two, 
like everyone, like every boy, typically every boy is like interested in what went down there. But I was like more, even at a young age, I remember being more interested in like how that came about and not necessarily what happened. I was like, so how did this guy for no reason at all <laughs> rise to power, right? Like this is what we're given unless like it's either that or it's um, like we were talking about, like the economic situation of Germany at the time. But I, at a young age, like I didn't really accept that answer. And that's why I was interested in like delving into the actual history of Weimar Germany, because there's a lot more than just Hitler was a really good speaker and he knew how to like sway people, which he knew how to sway people, but you got to be able to have something to back up your swaying. And there was a lot of stuff that was presented or there's a lot of stuff that he could use this way because the, the culture was so fake at the time. And he was promoting two very real things in blood and soil and also like national heritage. Like these are things that people not only can feel, but you can actually like see it. Um, and this was like what the Nazi art was at the time. You guys were talking about art. Um, you watch the, the doc is it the documentary. I can't remember her name the real like propaganda one. You know what I'm talking about? It was made in Nazi Germany and it's, it presents like fascism as like this very strong authoritative force, a uh, strength of the will or something of the will. Triumph okay. Of the will. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember what the name of it is. Either. That yeah, was, I, I kind of like looked into her life and she wasn't even like super ideological like Nazi person. Like she just wanted to create something beautiful and she, made a documentary that presented the Nazis as, like I said, strong and willful people. And this was during a time of abstract art and trying to turn men into women and women into men. And even people who maybe aren't super strong ideologically one way or the other, like they can still, they still get a sense of what's real and what's fake. And the Nazis were presenting something that was closer to real than what the commies were. I mean, you're seeing that today. <laughs> yeah. There's a, this is like, or yesterday was like the last day of like every two years in the city that I live, there's this thing called art prize. And a lot of people in mostly local people like present the art that they make or whatever in different venues around the city. The last time I went was, I think it was 2018 was the last time I went and it, they, they used to do it every year. They changed it to every other year because not as many people were coming. I think that as people people were coming is because the art sucked. Like everything was about abstract. Take take from this what you will. There's like no meaning, or you can you can portray any meaning, uh, or you can like derive any meaning from it that you want. Like that is the art and the architecture of today, and that's probably what was happening during that time in Germany and in these other places as well. So this place is, and I I haven't gone to this this art pricing this year because it is awful like art and i don't think like i drive around the city and i don't think people are going as much anymore either so there is this sense of maybe like not maybe not like explicit understanding of a longing for something real over the fakeness of today but i think it's going to get more and more real as things get crazier and crazier well that, that's something that i can't remember if it was on on my show or if it was on the uh on two bits friend or friend or fed episode uh, a couple weeks ago where we talked about Peter Thiel, but like one of the things that you're seeing societally is 
art is all starting to devolve into this real basic ugly thing. Uh, and somebody was trying to make the argument that why is this thing ugly and this thing isn't? It's like if if you don't think that this one that is like ornate and interesting and like unique is actually like a better nicer thing than this just basic blocky ugliness that I can pull 7000 other images of that all mirror it perfectly like if you if you don't think that this is more aesthetically pleasing than that you you've got the brain bug like it's they have they've succeeded in like dulling you down to not seeing real beauty in this world and i mean that's that's what it is like that's the the global the global homo ideal is that it is all uniform it, everybody is unique and perfect and different in their exactly perfect uh structured like <laughs> playbook like they they fall perfectly into the column of unique where that you are all unique in the exact same way there is no actual diversity there is all just perfect perfect uniqueness of uniformity yeah it just <clears throat> presents itself as a mess and someone might uh quibble with like that propaganda documentary by the german lady as being necessarily art because i'm pretty much of the belief that like right-wing art isn't necessarily political propaganda in our direction or whatever but what that film did is it did present like form and strength and i think these are things that are realities of like all time and this was presented at a time when the commies were basically trying to propagate a, a weak nation. So I think it was art in that it presented something that was completely opposite to the sort of distorted views or distorted propaganda of the time. Well, that's like speaking of the, the strength versus the weakness, like Hitler's Hitler's speeches weren't like super great. You know what I mean? But the way he delivered it, the yeah, kind yeah. of message that he was delivering. There's like, art it in was, performance. Yeah, yeah. It was something that hit people. Like it struck people as strong and authoritative. And in a time when everything was squishy and they needed that. It's the same for Maloney. When you listen to her speeches and stuff like that, like, they are they are meaningful. They are Even the like 2016 Trump. I mean, this he, he couldn't talk well, but there was something... That really struck a chord with people. When he and got he up was... there and he started, yeah, his speeches were not like, they were not <laughs> anything that was. They know, weren't super coherent, but they were authoritative. And the things he said struck a chord with the people that he was talking to. Uh, you know, it's, if you can get up there and you can command an audience and you can say things that, that people feel, that people can look around at the degradation of society and understand like these things aren't good we like instinctively we know these aren't good and then you've got somebody that's saying hey look it's not just you like this is fucked up yeah. and other people see it and we need to do something about it that like that strikes a that strikes a chord with people that that hits a nerve and it's like yeah okay i'm not batshit crazy like the the 
the gay rom-com that we were talking about on the morning show today. Like, you know, people are seeing that stuff and it's like, it's just not for me. This is just yeah. not like, this is not something I'm interested in. This is, this stuff is a perversion of nature. This is not what we should be doing as a species. And, and then when you've got like all of the mainstream, all of the, uh, like popular culture, because, you know, if you, if we go back to the thirties and we look at like Weimar Germany and, and all of that, like the popular culture was all of this squishy, uh, trans promotional, gay promotional, strong porn, uh, you know, low, low values, low, low morality type of stuff. Like this was the, the popular thing. This was the pop culture of that day the same fucking way that it's the pop culture of today and all you you know when you have somebody strong step up and start to speak out against that then and then you see like other people hear that and go participate and you know start cheering in these rallies and then the more people see that the more people start to realize okay i'm not the crazy one here like this is this is actually a thing Maybe we should get behind this. And, and you're starting to see that happen to some extent now. Uh, yeah. Across Europe, especially. And to a, a smaller degree here in the United States. When you, when I say that, like, Trump's base is closer to, like, the, the people who were most uh, friendly towards, like, the sort of Nazi or National Socialism in the late 20s, early 30s. Like, I'm not talking about Republicans in 2004 who were ready to kill a bunch of Muslims after 9-11 or whatever. <laughs> like, they're, they're a part of it, but they're also working class union people who voted Democrat all their life. Like, and the UP of Michigan, right? Like, they just want, <laughs> they don't want to lose their jobs to some foreign country. And so it's a combination of, like, the sort of red-blooded American as well as the blue dog like working class guy who make up not only like this sort of national populist movement that we see here today but also that made up the movement that we saw in germany spain italy all these places it's in one sense it is more ideological and in another it's like less ideological and i think there are actually people who receive who wore masks and received the jab like very recently who will see like the promo for bros or whatever that stupid movie is called and be like, wait, this, this is going a little too far. Like people that we would have been making fun of for the last two years, two years being like, okay, like things are getting a little too like crazy now. Like I think you and Pete were talking about yesterday, like kids are watching football and they're seeing the ad for bros during the commercials. And all you have to do is watch that ad and be like, I don't want my kid to, to like watch that. There's something weird going on with that. And this is uh this is why I'm, I'm like against that movie, but at the same time, like, okay, keep like pushing a little bit for <laughs> keep pushing a little harder because things are gonna turn if you keep doing this. Well, that's the you know, there's been a lot of conversation about the uh drag queen story hours and the like taking kids to drag shows the uh 
I've talked about it a little bit, trans, uh, trans communion in the Methodist church and like the United States Methodist church has, has really strayed from, uh, biblical fundamentals and, and actual theology and which is creating a huge schism within the, the Methodist church here in the U S and, uh, well, less, less so across the globe because most of the, the global Methodist church actually aligns with theology and biblical teaching, not with woke propagandist bullshit. So like I said, that's something I've written about in my Substack, stack and, uh, and the way that split is all happening, but like trans communion is becoming a thing. And the more this stuff is happening, the more it is starting to create these rifts, the more it's starting to create these schisms where people who, like you were saying, like wore the mask and got the jab and, did all of that stuff as this continues to get pushed further and further they're like i can't keep agreeing with this stuff like there's a line has to be drawn in the sand it's like the uh the guy i, I mentioned this book all the time but the coddling of the american mind like mm-hmm. the guys who wrote that are leftists but if you read if you just read that book on its face or listen to the two of them like reading the book the, the audio version of it, you would think they were a couple like MAGA Trump right wingers, just just based on the content of the book. Like you would think that they're that they're a bunch of right wingers, but they're they're leftists. But like things got pushed to the point that they had to take a step back and be like, this is not good. Like, this this is going too far, and there has to be a line drawn in the sand somewhere. And that's what a lot of uh, that's what a lot of college professors have been running up against in recent years. Like you have the, you know, you have the commie ideologues that are the large majority of commun or of college professors, communist professors, uh, same thing of college professors. But then you also have large numbers of professors who are leaving the, uh, you know, the state university structure and going to like private, private smaller schools and doing stuff like that because they do understand that there's a line that has to be drawn and, and you can't do that at the state level, at the state college and state university level, because they are going to push this agenda. And they understand that, that, that it is exactly that it is an agenda. And, and you're seeing that across industry really as a whole, like um, education, especially, but just industry as a whole, you're starting to see the schisms developing where, there are people on both the right and the left who are looking at what's going on and they're like, all right, this has gone too far. It's time to, it's time to pump the brakes and, and get out of this because, uh, yeah, because like there is, there, there, there are fundamental, uh, black and white, like morality exists. There is an objective morality that exists in the universe. And, Lines are getting crossed that shouldn't be crossed. And they're not turning to the neither right nor left libertarian party. Just got <laughs> what they're veering towards actually is, I mean, it's as simple as order. Like it's, we see the mess. We see the gross art of today, the gross architecture, just the anything goes culture of today. And what people will gravitate towards when things get too chaotic is order. And so that's where you see that that base, both in Nazi Germany and in uh, uh, like national populism today. Whereas 
the people who say like there needs to, I mean, the Nazis were a third party, but not a third party in the way that the LP is <laughs> people who, who want to like promote the LP are going to like give this whole, like we're, we're the Switzerland of world war two, right. Of 1930s into 1940s Germany. But what you don't like really get into with Switzerland is the reason they're neutral is because of the banking class they have in there who is providing the funds for both sides. <laughs> so it's just, when you like look into the the history of Switzerland, they're not necessarily neutral, neutral. Like this is just where all the money is is stored. Right. They're not they're not being left to uh, remain neutral because they don't have value to either side. They're yeah. being left as neutral because they have so much value to both sides. Neither side is willing to fuck with that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, do we go in here and try to like play dictator and then have them just divert all of the funds to our enemy? Like or do you just leave them alone and yeah, and the uh, the LP doesn't have any funds at all. That's why they fight just to get ballot access. Um, so you brought up <laughs> you brought up uh, the trans communion movement or whatever in Methodism. This is kind of where the Jewish portion kind of well, obviously banking, uh, banking commies. Jews who view Goyim as, or view Gentiles as Goyim, like this is kind of where this comes into the picture because they've tried to kill people of that mold, like try to kill God in any way that they can or kill Jesus in any way they can. I mean, they literally crucified Jesus at one point. <laughs> uh, but now I th what's happening is instead of killing Jesus, they're essentially killing Jesus by making him out to be whatever people want him to be. So Jesus was gay. Jesus accepted me as a trans. Jesus was a trans himself, whatever it was, whatever it yeah, is. Like this is a way to create an even bigger, like distorted, chaotic mess. Um, that's yeah. what I've focused a lot of my Substack stuff on is looking at that sort of stuff. I did. I talked about like the, the, it's not my Jesus. And yeah. the whole buddy Jesus mentality of stuff. Like, I talked about that in yesterday's Substack. Like, yeah, the way that they have perverted and distorted Christianity is a uh, is a travesty. But looking at like, if you want to talk about the, the Bible, if you look historically at the Bible, like every time that their culture started to uh, denigrate into this type of degenerate behavior, they had they had to have the rising up of a strong king that basically cracked the whip and forced them back into um, submission to God and getting things right and restoring the values and principles that that were their culture and society. Uh, this is not something that's just been happening over the last hundred years. This is something that's been happening all throughout human history. Is you have the you have the fall of culture into degeneracy and then you have the rise of strong leaders to bring you back out of that uh it's the whole weak men make bad times bad times make strong men yeah, yeah. and people intuitively know that this isn't like who jesus is or who like the god of the bible like really is um even if they don't know how to like put it into words like like uh, you were mentioning Spain and Italy as like strong Catholic countries and they always have been. And that's probably the reason why they gravitated towards fascism because 
it wasn't Catholic, Catholicism isn't a formless form of the Christian religion. I've got my issues with Catholicism, but it, it, it's pretty good at building up borders in, in many ways. Yeah, the um, a lot of the Protestant faiths that have moved away from the more Catholic foundations are the ones that seem to be the most squishy and the ones that seem to kind of devolve into some of this, uh, you know, buddy Jesus type of mentality. Whereas, although it is disappointing to see the, both the, the Methodist church and the, uh, the Presbyterian church, both over the last eight to 10 years have, have really strayed into trying to be popular as opposed to trying to be, uh, there's nothing methodical about the Methodist Church anymore. Right. At least not from the perspective of the U.S. Methodist Church. Like, you can still find the, uh, which what you, which is the schism. Like, there are the traditional uh, Orthodox type Methodist churches that are breaking away from the U.S. Methodist Church, while the U.S. Methodist Church takes more the path of the popular, uh, you know, <laughs> pop culture type of uh, prosperity gospel and buddy Jesus for everything. And it's the same thing that happened to the Presbyterian church uh, following Oberfeld. Uh, the Presbyterian church started to allow gay pastors. It started to allow uh, pastors to conduct gay marriages, all of that stuff. And the, <clears throat> and the church saw, First, it saw its numbers drop. I can't remember what it was. I think it was over like a four-year period, like 40, they lost like 40% of their membership. And, and, and the reason they were losing that membership is because they were uh, splintering off and forming Presbyterian churches that didn't affiliate with the United Presbyterian Church. And so like, and that's the same thing you're seeing with, with the, the Methodist Church now is, uh, it, they've been able to kick the can down the road a little bit further, but it's ultimately it's come to that. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, that's, that's the downfall of the U S church right now. And that's, I mean, it's the, uh, Oh God, what was, what's the word I'm looking for? Where, uh, subversion, it's the subversion okay. from like the, the global homo, um, uh, or, you know, from like, if you're looking at the, in the twenties and thirties, like the communist influence, this is the global homo influence of you want everything to be squishy and meaningless. That way, uh, everything just becomes uniform. And so it's, if every church is squishy and doesn't stand by any type of a conviction or principle, then they're not a threat. Uh, the, the American American Christianity as a whole is not a threat to global homo in any way. Like you need strong Orthodox churches, you need a strong Catholic church, and you need strong like independent churches that are that are centered on evangelism and theology to not just to be good on what they're teaching, but to be culturally relevant and create a a strong uprising of true Christian uh, power. And I don't, I don't know, I don't know what it takes to get that to happen. But I like, you know, 
the the National Socialists kind of replaced the church in that fashion in Germany, whereas, you know, that was the that was sort of the power structure in Spain and Portugal. And so something that is strong and concrete with well-defined rules and boundaries and and a uh, a coordinated structure of power like that's what kind of breaks this uh, bullshit. Yeah, Trey says the Baptists have been pretty resilient, but there's a uh, hard opposition within the big churches. Like if you keep up with the Southern Baptist Convention year over year, it, they are slowly but surely pushing in that direction. And they're probably, I would say, within the next five to eight years, they're probably going to see a schism similar to the Presbyterians and to the Baptist or and to the Methodists. Like it's it's coming. It's it's slower to work its way in, but it's it's happening across all of Christianity in the U.S. They are, and when I say they, I mean like the people who are subverting all forms of or everything that is uh, culturally important. Like they are slowly but surely working it, working their way into destroying all of these institutions that would uh, that would pose a threat and actually bring about some form of uh, order to the chaos that they're pushing. I think if we want to talk about where like the Nazis or like fascism in general, like eventually goes wrong, it actually includes religion. Um, one reason, like someone asked me if I, if someone like were to ask me if I'm a, like a fascist, I'd probably like, I would just be like eh, more of a Caesarist than a fascist. <laughs> we can, that's, that's a time for another show. But uh, like the biggest issue in my opinion with fascism is they have a more like deistic view of God. So everything is not every, most things are about like the natural order of things and natural law, which to a large extent I agree with, but I think they maybe more view like God as acting in unison with the natural order where God is actually in dominion over the natural order. So this is why you see things like miracles occur that seem like they go against like, sort of just the natural way of things because God can command the natural order to do whatever it wants, whenever he wants. It's not necessarily like we're fascists. We're going to work in unison along with God and the natural order as like this sort of like Trinity of movement. It's more like, no, God's on top. And then he kind of wills all things underneath. That makes sense. And that's, I think a society structured around religion, it needs to have God at the top, but the church shouldn't be making a whole lot of decisions like, like (laughs) culture and your, your culture and your, uh, your values and faith and family. Like that should be what's driving the decisions, not, not the church. Like that, that has to be at the top is like, that's what you shoot for is to, to honor, to honor and serve God. But that can't be the foundation of what's creating your, your structure. Like it has to, the structure has to come from, from the, the community and the family unit, uh, not from, not from the church. That That's where, that's where it always seems to go wrong. Like if the church is working in coordination with 
then it can be a good thing. But when the church is trying to drive it, then then that's where it starts to get perverted. Uh, power power always corrupts. So yeah, um, and we want to look at the more I don't know unfortunate events of <laughs> that eventually happened. I think what they fell into eventually was like they, they had the they found the the right issues with their society, with their culture. And I think they even when they came to power, they kind of were still stuck in this like victimhood mentality, right? Like even when you're in power, you're still like acting as if you're a victim to the bankers of the day as opposed to finding more solutions other than you know, some things that they resorted to in order to like really wield your power in a way that you can. Saying they took, they, you're saying they took the book, book burning a little too far. <laughs> if you want to believe that sort of thing, no. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that was a conversation I was having with my son a couple weeks ago. Was we were, so we were talking about this sort of stuff and, and the lead up to World War II and what was going on and and talking about the societal and the cultural issues that they had at the time and the, all of that leading to the rise of Nazism, uh, the, you know, the National Socialists. And, and my son just like point blank looked at me. He's like, are you a Nazi? I was like, look, if you look at like the 30s, it makes a lot of sense. They did the things that were necessary to ride the ship. If you look at the 40s, they kept doing those things to like the nth degree and went way off the deep end. And like, yeah, there was some fucked up shit. Like, so, no, I'm not like a, you know, I'm not like a, a Holocaust Nazi, but maybe I would consider myself more aligned with the, you know, the 1930s type of national socialism that was a, ne a necessary thing to create or to correct the problems that were, that existed with their society. And it's the same, same problem we see in our society today, unfortunately. Yeah. As, as a leader, as someone in power, you can't continue on with the victim narrative, even if the victim narrative is like what helped you. And the victim narrative in this case was like, they truly were like victims, like, especially like the common everyday German, but you can't, use that as a way to rule or to govern and that's why we see today like the people who are lifted up and the victim hierarchy i mean they still don't live <laughs> i don't want their lives like even if you're someone who gets all these you know, get subsidization or you get free college or whatever like i look at them and i was like you know what even as a white cis male at the bottom of this ladder i prefer my life to theirs because they're still adhering to that victim mentality, even though they're not like real victims in any way. And this is why you, uh, you don't take out their loans and you don't watch their porn. There you go. <laughs> what else you got? Anything? How are we going to wrap this thing up? Uh, I don't know. Is there anything we didn't cover? I, I mean, I, I feel like we got, I think we got the important parts. If we missed anything, you know, uh, feel free to leave comments on, on the video or shoot me a, 
shoot me a message and let me know what we what we missed out on or maybe i'm trying to figure out what magoo is posting down here uh, i'm not sure somebody tell us what that is oh that's oh, the bill he, that's the he's bill thinking. he's thinking his bill <laughs> something um, about their loans and their porn i think yeah yeah that's for sure i mean it's like uh like Peter talked about you know there's a reason porn is free it's they want that to be a part of society like that it does for uh, to whatever varying extents it does weaken the male class and yeah. and weak males is the uh kind of the gateway to subverting everything else about about culture and society and and setting us on the path of i mean we've been seeing this coming really kind of coming to fruition over the last 20 years, but it's been in the works for probably 40 or more. Uh, if you just look back at the, at history, the, like the sixties and seventies didn't take quite like, I think they wanted it to. And then you, uh, maybe took a step back in the right direction in the eighties and early nineties, but it's, then it turned around and it started going back in the, back in the direction, um, of, degeneracy and and maybe it was the uh maybe it was the rise of the christian conservative karen mother in the 80s and 90s that wanted to cancel everything that was yeah we gotta give them props yeah as much as i uh as much as i hate the censorship of those times being a comic book fan and a fan of music and art and stuff like that and seeing some of the things that had existed at those times that then got altered because of that at the same time, maybe that uh, that movement stemmed some of what we're seeing today. Like we we might be we might be ten years further along into this whole experiment, and I don't know. Maybe that would be a good thing. We might be closer to the end of it. But I think our frustration, and it may just be more like intuitive than anything, um, with the sort of boomer conservative who spoke out against porn and like gay marriage and were definitely right in a lot of their predictions that they made is that while porn and the other like degenerate parts of society are the explicit uh, mechanisms like put into place, like your more implicit one is the debt-based economy and what everyone, almost everyone in this society just accepts like you have to have, you have to take out a loan to get good credit. You need to get good credit to buy a house or to buy this other thing that you want. Like everyone just sort of accepts that the debt-based economy is maybe not a good thing, but is something that necessarily works or whatever. Um, and we know <laughs> where the debt-based economy comes from. And I was like, I've, I've always hated debt myself, but I feel like I'm in the minority with this where it's like, I, my credit report keeps going down and down because I have like zero debt. People are like, well, you should probably take out a credit card. And it's like, I don't, I don't really want to partic participate in this debt-based economy. Like this is not a thing that I enjoy. Um, and I think if actually more people had that mindset, then certain entities wouldn't have as much power. I think you're the same way too. Like you're Mr. No debt guy. I don't have no debt, but I have very, very little. Like our, yeah. uh, we have we have three homes and a mortgage on well a mortgage on two of them and then we this one we own outright um but also the way that we structure our finances and uh 
<laughs> like none of those loans are big and the way our income and the way we do the uh renting the other one out basically we rent we rent our other house and it pays everything it, like it pays for itself and the and these so we don't while we have the debt we don't it's not a uh it's not a debt that actually like you don't have three car payments and right we don't experience 14 credit cards and we don't experience debt we have we have some strategic debt but we don't we're not like living in debt i guess would be the the best way to put it like i could liquidate every bit of this tomorrow and move out into the woods somewhere and not not have a single problem with that. Uh, Trey says we missed an opportunity to discuss how to right the ship without falling into the trap that the Nazis fell into. Uh, I don't know, just like use the camps, not not the incinerators, right? Isn't that, <laughs> is that too simplistic? Is that what he was driving at? I don't know what he's driving at. We'll have to. Uh, I would invite him on the show, but we've already got our ginger quota for the day, so. Yeah, they don't want to have too much. Yeah. Hmm. I think we I think we covered everything. There is a uh I did I never pulled it up. I have it pulled up. There's an article from The Guardian that talks about Weimar and uh the the title is Hedonism, Sex and Fear, Why the Weimar Republic is in vogue. And like this article and some of the uh, some of the stuff that it talks about, like it covers all of the the terrible parts of that society that we've talked about, except that it doesn't paint them in a negative light and like makes it almost seem like the things that they were doing during that time were a good thing. Like it's it's really a shining example of what's wrong with Western media and the the propagandizing of an entire society to to just believe that this shit is not bad like it's like okay look at all this stuff that they were doing how wonderful this stuff was it's like you don't are you not connecting the dots that go forward that all of this stuff was not wonderful all of this stuff led to some really bad shit wait you know several years down the road but it also led to a complete like societal reversal uh just a few years down the road because people rejected this and realized that it was not good like so i'll, I'll link to this yeah. in the uh i'll add the link to this article in the uh description for the page and it'll it'll be in the uh in the description on the podcast itself whenever that releases i guess that'll be on wednesday um so yeah anybody who wants to check the article out feel free it's uh pretty appalling honestly i mean it's it's a good read but it's the way they paint it is like wow I do wonder if like if there is going to be like a legitimate like rise of I mean maybe not even don't even call it like fascism, something like that here. If it will actually be like the Jews who are blamed again. Like like you said in the last show with Pete. Like it, it doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. I think that people are more like into more, more apt to like blame the things that they see. So it might actually be more like the LGBT community 
which I mean, there is some crossover there, but the, them who are kind of used put up more as like consenting to a certain slave system or debt based system as being more, uh, like I said, blamed or placed on the pedestal of uh, the reasons why we degenerated. As oh, hell no. We to, can't like, let them use all the I, I'm not saying that I <laughs> would necessarily agree. I mean, I do agree that obviously they, the, the group that I mentioned is a huge uh, player in the degenerate society, but like, I don't know. I try to talk about like some of these things with Norman conservatives and like you even bring up like the uh, the shot or whatever. You say, well, you do you know who like kind of propagates these pharmaceuticals, blah, blah, blah. And then and that's, that's a step too far for them because such a liability shield has been uh, built up since the 1940s uh, or even like bring up who, who started the trans movement or who provides the, uh, the technology or the meds for transitioning or whatever. It's like, no, we only want to focus on the transitioning itself, not necessarily one step beyond that. <laughs> so while we're heading in a certain direction, that's similar. Like there are things where people aren't necessarily willing to look into because of that liability shield. And I'm not sure if, the way to sort of right the ship, as Trey is talking about, is to necessarily dig that deep, or do we dig that deep with certain people? I don't know. It's a question I ponder. I always get accused of things when I bring it up with, you know, my conservative family members who were basically on the same page, but <laughs> they talk about what they see, and then I delve into it, and to them, I delve a little bit too far sometimes. And this is probably the case with a lot of, you know, bait, the base that I'm, that I was uh, talking about earlier. You know, what I'm starting to find is <clears throat> people are starting to come around. Like, this is why I'm like, I, I try to be slower and more methodical and not just so like, it's the Jews or whatever. But <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. You got to work your way up to that. You can't just, you can't just jump in head first with that. Yeah. You got to do a little priming. And it's not all the Jews. I mean, people consent to the Jews all the time. So it's like, stop consenting to their, their beast system. Um, yeah. It it will be interesting to see who, who kind of catches the, catches the flack on it. Um, I do think you're right. I do think the LGBTQ community is going to catch a lot of the, the pushback on it. I do think there's going to be a very specific sect of the progressive left that catches some of the brunt of it. Uh, yeah, uh, like corp- like media journalists and uh, academic professors probably too. Yeah, yeah, it, it, rightfully so. Let's be it, honest. Right. I mean, it should be a scary time to to be in academia, and I, you know, that could be a reason why some of the the more either conservative or just like uh, normie professors are getting out of academia and moving towards, and, and like even uh, like school teachers are getting out of getting out of the school systems and moving towards like private stuff or or uh like these community school type things they're getting away from away from the institutions because once it does completely devolve into um blame getting tossed around for why society has degenerated in such a manner they are going to be the ones who catch the brunt of a lot of it and 
and probably not pleasantly. So like, I'm not saying that, you know, it's going to be uh, 40 style concentration camps and incinerators, but they're probably not going to have a real, uh, probably not going to have a real enjoyable time out of the, the pushback and the, the fallout of, of all of this. I agree. All right. Well, plug your, uh, plug your thing you write from time to time. MarkMetz.substack.com. There will be something this week. Uh, there's also clock management. <laughs> and there is the morning after. Tune in to clock management for all of the worst possible takes you could have on picking games if you're listening to me. Like, if you listen to Mark or, or Tho, you're going to get some solid picks. If you listen to me and Buck, almost guaranteed we were going to be wrong. I don't think that I did too well this week. I'll have to check it out. I don't do too well any week, so. <laughs> <laughs> I did pick the Jets over the, over the Steelers, though. I don't know why I still pick games. I'm just going to I'm just gonna watch Mississippi State football and say fuck all the rest of it. We should try to get Mike Leach on the show. Yes, we should. I have him on this show, too. Just yeah. Kinda, yeah. I'm sure he has lots of thoughts on the Jews. anyway hope everybody has a great rest of your day a great rest of your week i will be back on uh sunday evening with jason from two bit podcast matt erickson of king pilled and josiah we are going to do a follow-up on the blake masters episode nice and talk about how uh power kind of works its way out through culture and society uh that'll be a That'll be a fun conversation. It'll probably be a lot less Blake Masters focused and a lot more like cultural type stuff. So yeah, I guarantee you Blake Masters will be mentioned twice and then and yeah. then Justin I'll, will sit back and listen to, yeah, <laughs> to, I'll say his to Jay name. and Josiah say a whole bunch of abstract things. I'll say Blake Masters' name and then I'll turn it over to the three of them and just try to keep them reeled in from time to time <laughs> if it gets too out of if it gets too out in the weeds. Uh yeah. That's about all I got. Um, I got I got another show coming up later on, but I'll I'll plug that closer to time because uh, that's too far out. Everybody will forget by then. Everybody forgot about the the Sunday one already. Anyway, hope everybody has a great rest of your day, great rest of your week. Tune in on Sunday, and I will see you then. Later. Thanks, Justin. Don't forget to head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and check out our longest and most favorite sponsor. Carlos Vanessa Abelar and Paloma Verde CBD. Get all of your CBD needs and you get 10% off your order of $75 or more. Plus, anything over $75 is free shipping. So head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com to get all your CBD needs. Have a good week, everybody.